Welcome back to The Deeper Cut. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Pasek, and as always, I'm accompanied by my fellow elder and brother and pastor, Phil Henry, here in his study in beautiful Pittman, New Jersey. And uh, we have with us today a special guest, Mr. John Choi, who um, has been a pastoral assistant with us uh, at Mercy Hill for the past year and a half, and uh, we had the pleasure of uh, hearing him preach God's word yesterday from our pulpit on Psalm 46. And so that's the topic of our conversation today. But before we dive into that, I wanted to give a quick nod over to Phil, who um, was working yesterday, just not in our midst, um, with our, our brothers and sisters up in North Jersey at Gyra Church. So maybe, Phil, you could give a little plug for them. How'd things go? What did you preach on? Maybe we'll talk about that sermon in the future if we can scrounge up a uh, bootlegged recording of it. Um, Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> it's great to have you with us, John, and looking forward to diving into your sermon. Um, I, uh, uh, Pastor Ben Lynn, who is my son-in-law's father, is the pastor of Jaira Church. It's a Chinese congregation, independent Chinese congregation. Ben is a minister in the RCA, uh, conservative in his own convictions. It's a pretty broad denomination, but uh, Ben is on the, uh, he's a, a solid brother in Christ. And in 2019, I think the Sunday after Christmas or sometime around this time of year, Pastor Ben preached for me at Mercy Hill. That's right. And uh, shortly after Christmas of 2019, there was this little thing that happened in all of our lives called COVID. Fast forward two years, he's finally getting around to inviting me back. So that's this was a bit of a of a pulpit exchange interrupted by COVID. Mm. And um, our desire, uh, certainly my desire, and I think Ben shares this, is to encourage our con mutual congregations with the marriage, the godly marriage of our kids and how it's brought blessing into both of our lives. Jeremiah was for many years the worship leader at uh, his father's church and um, you know all three of us know Jeremiah and, and would commend him and his faithfulness and it doesn't come as any surprise that he was faithful before we met him by the grace of God. And so it's an honor for me in Jeremiah's and Ben's church to be associated with this family. And uh, I did consider it a privilege. Probably not my best sermon. Um, this podcast isn't about that message, but um, it's, it, it was a different context that I'm used to. And um, a difficult passage and a lot of other variables that just reminds me that you know when when God gets a hold of the message it has it has to be him you know hmm. I do have the benefit of having a wife and a daughter that don't mince their words um, uh, not with the English accent but basically I, from both of them I got probably not your best effort <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Pastor Ben was very encouraging, and I did get some good feedback from the, the congregation. They appreciated me being there, and so, yeah. 
we'll look forward to getting a copy of that record. That recording. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll. Uh, it was Psalm twenty four. Psalm twenty four. So maybe you'll have a second crack at it at Mercy Hill sometime. Well, one, one of my thoughts was uh, possibly to take a section of that message and uh, kind of repackage it for our Christmas Eve service. So it it may find a home at Mercy Hill at some point. There you go, and that's quickly approaching uh, Christmas Eve. It is the 12th today, so 12 days of Christmas away. There you go. From uh, our Christmas Eve service. Shameless plug here. 6.30 p.m. 6.30 p.m. <laughs> we'll have the uh, the annual children's pageant. And my daughter will be a sheep this year. <laughs> We've been practicing her uh, ba <laughs> so that she nails her, her line. John, is Alicia in the play? She is a wise man. Oh, man. She, apparently, she's upgraded from being a sheep okay. to a wise man. So we'll yeah, see how that she, goes. she is a wise man. Is so. she part of the oh. union this year? Is that how she's she got She's a wise something sometimes. <laughs> uh, okay, a wise fill in the blank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in seriousness, if, if you're, we would love to have you out to our Christmas Eve um, service 630 at our church. Uh, 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, and actually will be um, blessed with returning the following morning this year because of the way things fell. And we'll have Christmas morning um, service, which I'm very, very much looking forward to. Amen. Um, well, that's enough with the <laughs> with the uh, the marketing for uh, for our, our upcoming services. Let's turn our attention to John's message on Psalm 46. Um, from yesterday. John, maybe if you would, I'm hoping that most of our listeners were either there with us yesterday or have checked out the recording that's already been posted on our other uh, podcast stream, but maybe you could just give us a quick 90 second rundown of your outline or your main points or the main, the main message of your sermon from yesterday. Yeah, sure. Well, I do want to first say, you know, as I was preparing for this message, um, I realized that something like this is very helpful for the preacher, but also for those who are there listening to the sermon. Um, you know, it is, it is such a difficult thing to, to think that you could come up with a very clear, concise sermon, um, and you are the one to pick and choose what to leave in and take out. So this is such a great um, ministry that you guys are doing for the church, and I, I'm, I'm sure the people are being blessed. So I preached from Psalm 46, and this is a well-known hymn, especially throughout church history. People have timelessly gone to it in difficult times. Um, and so I've co I covered that through the sermon. So my main points were to just keep it simple. And the first point was, so my main point was that, that we are able to have confidence in the troubles of our lives because our almighty God is with us. And so my three points were just that, just to uncover, okay, what are our troubles? What kind of troubles do we have? What does a psalm say about those troubles and what do we do in fact when we are faced with trouble so our troubles point one and then the second point was to 
invite or even just to show that the things that we tend to turn to don't, can't last. They won't last. Um, and, and the second point was to show why God is that sure refuge and strength, why he is the fortress that we can turn to and have confidence in. And then at the end, um, we just closed, all, uh, closed the time together by just showing what the psalm says about what our proper response is, right? When we see who God is, when we see what he's done for us, what is the proper response of the, of the person, of the creature to such a powerful and yet merciful creator? Um, so our response. So we'll say that was my, I yeah, think, I think that was it. <laughs> that was I'm not, I'm not going to debate yeah. you on that. No. And it was uh, well received. Uh, I, I very much appreciated your sermon. I was telling Phil, this morning, I've listened to it twice. I heard it yesterday, and then I listened again this morning. Um, so I, I very much appreciated your work and your study in the Word and you preaching that, God speaking to you, uh, to us through you yesterday. Um, and I think that recap will be helpful for people who didn't hear it yet or just a quick reminder, refresher, before we kind of dive into some of the deeper, the deeper topics. So maybe... We could start with, um, you know, a thought I had, and I shared with you uh, earlier this morning, John, uh, in this psalm is this, um, to me, almost an illusion or hearkening back to Genesis. And I think your points actually kind of um, solidify this and that we have troubles and that God is with us. And, and frankly, we bring about those troubles your, your, your kind of sub points, if I recall, about the nature of our troubles is there's, you know, kind of creation troubles that are more or less out of our control, natural disasters. You talked about that sickness, things like that. And then there's troubles that come to us from people, you know, whether that's pe- people close to us or people far from us, but kind of a creature and creation, if you will, um, dichotomy when it comes to our troubles and it occurred to me, well, that's really all at our doing. You know, creation wasn't that way mm-hmm. when God created it. Um, and then we get into the second point, And in the psalm, in verse uh, 4 in particular, there's a river that the psalmist talks about, whose streams make glad the city of God. And I immediately think in my head of the the rivers flowing out of Eden. But you had mentioned that you know, the concept of a river, uh, particularly a, a river from a godly or in the midst of a godly city, occurs throughout a, a lot of scripture. So maybe we could start there. You know, what was some of your study on that? Um, why was that? What does that mean for this psalm in particular? And how does that kind of um, help us as Christians? you know, this concept of a river. Because to us, I mean, I'll be honest with you, we live not very far from the Delaware River. It's not very comforting to me, (laughs) that one in particular. I mean, it's more scary than it is comforting. Mm -hmm. Um, But rivers in general, I mean, society throughout history has kind of gravitated towards water sources and rivers Mm -hmm. for various reasons. So, um, you know, what are the implications, I guess? I'm talking way too much. I'm going to hand it off to you. No, that's good. I I think that's such a great insight um, for you to have. 
Yeah, going back, let's start with what you said about creation. You know, it is poetic language. Um, it's insightful to think about the rivers that are flowing out of Eden, starting in verse 4. But just like the Genesis account, what we have in Psalms, and I think this is intentional, is that we have two different pictures. We have creation. God made all things and he said it was good. Right? Things are peaceful. There's harmony. God is walking, literally walking with Adam and Eve. It just happens, you know, it's implied. Um, but he walks with them. So the world is right. And that river motif, even in Eden, could be possibly carried over with God being in the midst of Eden, of the garden with his people. And they are glad. They are not shaken. There's no need to be shaken. But then also what we see from their sin, we have the undoing of creation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in Genesis, we have the juxtaposition of creation. All things are good. People are glad. And in chapter four, someone's already getting murdered, right? Creation is being undone. And I think we see kind of that side by side, maybe not in the same order in Psalm 46. We, we see the earth is giving way. It's almost that language is almost in chapter one of Genesis where God is bringing mountains up right. from the sea. Or now it's like an, almost a rewind and undoing. Hmm. And I mentioned this and, and you read it in verse four is such an abrupt transition. Right? It's chaos and comfort and calm. So I, I just wanted to say that insight of going to Genesis, I think is very apt. I think it's there. But with that river, and you said, you know, we're, there's not rivers here. I mean, Delaware, it's scary. And if it's not scary, it's quite disgusting. You know, it, it's a miracle in itself that there's life in that river. <laughs> Maybe there isn't. I'm just, I'm just assuming. It's there. coming back, man. It's coming back. <laughs> But you're right. I mean, think about even the fact that Philadelphia is by the river. You know, back in the day, and not in, even in ancient times, but the river brings life. Maybe, maybe in, the, in the more modern history, it's because it brings transport. And, but nevertheless, it brings life. It brings life as a water source for people either to drink, to irrigate, to farm. But even in the ancient times, um, the, the soil around the river actually teems with life. And maybe not even just a river, but a river source, like a spring. And even though we may not know that um, or experience it, we know that that's true. And, and I, I think it's such a great picture here in Psalm. Um, but what's great is it's not exclusive to this Psalm, hmm. right? As you mentioned, it's in Genesis. As I was doing my study, some of the places that I immediately thought of was Ezekiel. Ezekiel at the end talks about the temple of God. And he's talking about this poetic imagery, this prophetic imagery of from the temple of God, a river flows. And that he talks about how the river is too deep for him, but he does see that the, the waters from the river make even the salty seawater clean water. It makes it fresh water. And not only that, wherever the water goes, you know, life is teeming on the, on the banks of it. Hmm. So it has this, you know, Ezekiel uses it. Then, of course, in Gen uh, Revelation chapter 22, God himself talks about 
or Jesus himself talks about the river of life that comes out. And then that immediately made me think about Jesus and his encounter with the Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. Right, the Samaritan woman, right, she thinks in her sinfulness, in her blindness, in her limitations, she's only thinking about the here and now. This is her life now. Her, she's just trying to live her best life now. And she's just trying to get some water. But Jesus says to her, it's like, this isn't, this isn't it. There's so much more after this. I mean, there's so much more even in this life that I can give to you, but there's so much more. And he even talks about, if you knew who you were talking to, I would give you the water of life and you will never thirst again. And then later on in John chapter seven, that's from Samaritan woman, John chapter four. And later on in John chapter seven, Jesus is very explicit about who he's speaking about or what he's speaking about in the waters. And he refers to the spirit and that the spirit is the water and he's the one who will nourish us. He will be the one to comfort us and to give us life. So, I mean, this so, is, this is the deeper cut. I didn't yeah. put that in my sermon, but yeah. But so water is a theme of eschatological blessing. Mm-hmm. We see it in the beginning, as you pointed out, Tim, in Eden, we see it at the end in revelation. Ezekiel 47 is a, uh, I think a vision of the end that, that beautiful river. So where in the redemptive story arc, you know, the redemptive storyline of scripture, where is the river of Psalm 46? Do you think John? Cause I notice it's interesting. It says there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So are we at, is this Psalm written at night? Like, that's a question that, that, um, how do we benefit from this river Mm -hmm. in our current circumstances? And, and how did you touch on that in your message or what further thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't really mention explicit, I didn't mention anything about that verse or the part of the verse with like the morning and God will be there uh, to help her in the morning. You know, I think first glance you read that, you're thinking, man, what if I'm suffering at night? <laughs> you know, <laughs> do I have to wait until morning for you to help me? I, I think in my mind, there isn't just one answer. Right? It, it, we, of course, benefit from the fullness of God's promise in redemptive history that that morning has already passed. That That morning idea of it's almost in the morning. Not, not eight or nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, but the idea that as soon as morning hits, right, God does not delay to help us. Mm-hmm. And to us, <coughs> throughout history, the entire church, the people of God wait long for God to help them. And, and we know in scripture and we know from our confession that in the fullness of time, in God's redemptive history and his uh, sovereign understanding and in his perfect timing, Jesus came when he came. And in that sense, he came just at the right time to help his people in the morning, in the morning, in the morning. Yeah. In the morning. And that, and that dawn of Christ's advent, this is advent season is still with us. And yet nations rage, right? 
the kingdoms totter. So, so we live, uh, did, was this in the podcast before the podcast, Tim, the, <laughs> we, you know, we, we live in the, in the already and the not yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's true even for the Israelites who are listening to the Psalm and singing this Psalm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, one of the, one of the beautiful things that I, stu- like I saw from scripture um, was that there's a, in the Bible, when we talk about the river, there's a, it's not just the second person of, of the Trinity, but it actually each time, there are multiple times in the Bible where it talks about the river and it actually hits on each person of the triune God. Right in Jeremiah chapter two verse thirteen, there in a negative, God the Father is talking to Jeremiah of how his people have rejected the fountain of life, which would be the Father. We do be the Father, and here in forty six, Jesus himself talking. Um, I believe I have Zechariah thirteen one. Zechariah 13, 1 specifically talks about the second person. It says, on that day, so on a, in a future day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them of sin and uncleanliness. So there is this fountain that will come in a day. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. One mm-hmm. of my favorite songs by... Um, William Cooper. Mm-hmm. Then we know this is the second person, yeah, especially with the so. language of to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. Mm-hmm. And all we have to do is turn to chapter uh, Matthew chapter one, and we talk about his name will be Jesus, mm-hmm. and you will save him from their sins. So mm-hmm. we have the second person. Of course, the third person of the Trinity is most commonly associated with water mm-hmm. in the outpouring at Pentecost and um, baptism. But at that point, the Spirit is uniting us, is sent by the Father and the Son, and uniting us to Christ. So, yeah, it's great. That's great Bible work there. And and just the kind of thing we want to do in the deeper cut to help people access some of the riches of Scripture that don't necessarily... Um, As a preacher, John is an aspiring preacher. These things don't preach well, but they don't. That doesn't mean they're not important. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly at Mercy Hill, we want to, and you and I have talked about this as we've we've worked together for quite some time now. Uh, the importance of preaching the gospel simply. Um, Sometimes I've used the phrase cookies on the bottom shelf. It may not be the best phrase, but um, it's, not a lect- it's not a seminary lecture. Mm-hmm. But we are called to move into, uh, you know, to grow in our understanding of Scripture. And this is super helpful, I think, thinking about the, the biblical theological significance of water and a triune God. I mean, that's, that's good. Mm. It's really good. Um, one of the 
one of the, um, <clears throat> I guess, corollary thoughts that I had. When we're, t- we're speaking of verse 4 in particular. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And the second part of that verse is the holy habitation of the Most High. So we're talking about the river in a, a, a very positive way. I think the psalm refers to it in that light. <clears throat> and certainly the the holy habitation of the Most High is a, ble- a blessed place, mm-hmm. but it's also a holy place. Like there's a, there's a, um, f- I don't know, fear comes to mind yeah, here. The implicit, fearing the Lord. Yeah, an implicit you know, threat. In- and um, w- which is juxtaposed against the nations raging and the kingdoms tottering and the city is still, you know, but there, to me, like, I just feel like there's reverence. There's a, there's a, it's not just happy go lucky per se. It is a happy place, but it is also an awesome place in the truest sense of that word. And then that comes, brings me down to kind of the, the latter half. Let's call it the third verse in the song eight through 11 come behold the works of the Lord. Um, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. And then verse 10, which is probably the, the most well-known verse in the Psalm, be still and know that I am God. And though you had brought up a good point before we hit the record button this morning of the, would you call it the hallmarkification of this Psalm? The be still, maybe you yes. can elaborate. It was yeah. your, it was, I'm, I'm stealing your, your no, phrase here. No, so good. maybe you can. Uh, I'm all for uh, devotions and encourage using the Bible in an encouraging sense. But John, can you speak to uh, be still as a, a verse that's sometimes used for in, encouragement, perhaps even bordering on the sentimental versus its context and and what God means to communicate with the phrase be still in context. Yeah. <clears throat> I touched on I touched on verse seven and verse eleven, which is repeated for a reason. Um, I explain it in, in the sermon, but I think we, we have to start with knowing who God is. I think sometimes we have maybe the disadvantage of hearing grace and knowing grace. And and sometimes it could be a a stumbling block for us to understand and see God for who he truly is in his full magnificence and his awesomeness um, before the cross. Have you heard this saying, John? um, When sharing the gospel with a Roman Catholic, you need to remind them that they are forgiven by God's grace. When sharing the gospel with the Baptist, you need to remind him that he is guilty of sin. <laughs> a Catholic doesn't need to be told that he's a sinner, but a Baptist doesn't need to be told that God forgives him. Mm-hmm. So depending on the person, and it isn't just Catholics and Baptists, but you can insert the, the, the group of choice, but, um, we need both sides of the gospel, I guess. Yeah. And I I think verse seven, the Lord of hosts, (coughs) I did explain a little bit, um, about what that name entails. 
I mean, but this is a, in the true sense of the word, a terrible name. This is um, a person who is absolutely holy, absolutely just, absolutely powerful. And if you think about it, if it is the Lord of heavenly hosts, the Lord of the universe, the true judge of the world, in one sense, when we talk about the city, there should only be one person living in it, and that is God himself. Like no one else, as to your point, no one else deserves mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. in that city, mm-hmm. in his presence. Why? Because if you look at it, you know, we say the nations rage, but we rage as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the kingdoms totter. Well, we totter all day, every day, all the time. And is this terrible or this uh, almighty Lord of hosts obviously is the one in verse 8 who is able to bring desolations to the world. He is able to lay waste to all the, the people striving to oppose in Psalm chapter 2. Another thing maybe slightly I can mention here is that in verse 2 and 3 we talk about, it's almost like, not drawn out, but it is a detailed description of the world crumbling apart. It's two full verses. But the, the Lord of hosts, at the very end of verse 6, he utters his voice and it melts. And that's it. it it's like very short and simple. All he needs to do is speak, speak. And everything that we see in verse 2 and 3, we can condense it into just one word. It melts. That's how powerful he is. And he brings desolations to the world. He shatters the bows. right? He, he burns the chariots. And to your point of... Who this God is, is because that's who I am, you can do all your striving and your raging and your tottering. But one thing is for sure, and that is the second part of verse 10, is I will be exalted. Whether you like it or not, whether you think the world and your plans are going this way or that way, it doesn't matter. At the end, all roads lead to me being exalted over the earth and over the nations. And so you're right. I think we should read it in that way, in a way that only God is set apart holy and good, and no one is able to be before him in his city. Yeah. But for the covenant community, we can get that so-called sentimental encouragement because the Lord of hosts, verse 11, is with us, is our God of Jacob. Jacob's God is our fortress. Mm. He is the covenant-keeping God. Mm. So 10 is directed to the nations, John. But is there a, a, a gentle kind of elbow to the covenant community as well? You said, you know, we taught her every day. Mm-hmm. God's covenant people, we sometimes act like the nations. And we need to hear the, the exhortation to be still. Um, the difference would be when God rebukes us in our raging he also comforts us with his presence. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, those outside the faith don't have that corresponding comfort. They just have the utter terror of the devastating, decreating word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, and, and I think that's the beauty of chapter, verse 7 and 11. I think it's very purposeful that this psalm, this psalm repeats that that's phrase. That's the refrain, yeah. With it's the be- Selah. Yeah. Think about it. <laughs> I, it. Because it is one, it is the Lord of hosts, what we just talked about. But that same Lord of hosts is also the God of Jacob. Hmm. 
you know, in the sermon, I unpack what that name refers to. And, and from what I see, it refers to what you just mentioned, a God who is faithful to his covenant. As he was faithful to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. He's a faithful God to his people. So even though they are unfaithful, even though they rage, even though they may be prone to wander to other things to find refuge in, God is, God does not slumber. God does not change. He's sing, single-minded to his promise. And also, you know, I speak about how he is also a gracious God. Yeah. Um, we're, we're getting close to our time here, but one last thought I had. It seems to me like um, verse 10 is a, is a command to meekness. Hmm. Um, we've talked about meekness before in some of the other Psalms. We've talked about the, the Beatitudes in the Psalms. Um, it, to me, meekness is one of those, like, I don't know, um, paradoxical <laughs> things. Like, how do I grasp this, this concept? How do I grasp this um, command to meekness? And, uh, Phil, you've always described it as like a quiet confidence. Mm -hmm be still and know that I'm God. What more do you need right. for the, meekness? The, the meekness concept comes out in the river verse as well. God will help her when the morning comes. And so if you're in a night season as a believer, you can hopefully, without raging, and in spite of the raging seas, the chaotic waters of this fallen world, kind of not just lapping up against you but oh you know crashing over you at times you can be confident that this too will pass as my dad used to say <laughs> quick uh, pivot because we are running out of time Luther's hymn Einfesteberg which is the the, the mount I, I'm not a German speaker but I think it means a fortress mountain mm or a mountain fortress. That's the name of the music that's attached. Da, 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 da. And of course, Luther uh, has paraphrased this psalm. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood, all mortal ills prevailing, and so forth. Um, you, did you... Did you chisel into Luther's use of this psalm at all? or uh, No, I didn't. I, I did mention, the only thing I mentioned was just that's what you said, you know, this is where he's getting it from. And just briefly mentioning how sometimes we we, we put him on a pedestal as this guy who right. went up against the Catholic Church but never really think deeply that his life after that was just full of troubles. And even before that, you know, he was a man who was known to have bouts of depression, uh, certainly on the morbid side of introspection. You know, the, the anecdotal uh, story of Luther coming back and back and back to his father confessor, confessing one more sin and one more sin. So Guy was not completely mentally stable which is a comfort to me because <laughs> I am Luther's brother in that sense. Um, but I love the song, the, the, in, in A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is inspired by Psalm 46, the references to spiritual warfare, 
where but still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe yep you know his craft and power are great uh, one little word shall help him which is jesus christ um, how can this psalm help us in our spiritual battles what are your thoughts there john maybe just to wrap us up uh, i mean i'm sure there's something there i haven't really thought about it in the spiritual part i there, there is something that I didn't really talk about that I thought, I mean, it was important and I, I should have. Um, I think it helps us spiritually because I think for the Christian, we have a daily, there's a daily danger of only seeing meaning and reality in the things that we see. Hmm. So even in our troubles, and I don't mean to belittle anyone's troubles in the physical world and in their life now, um, because those are intense. People, there, there's real emotion behind that. There's real trouble in it. But I think the danger is when we think that that's the extent or, or the pinnacle of our troubles in this life or in our life in general, that it is only something that is seen, only that is physical. And, and when Christ does come and die for us, he doesn't necessarily address just the physical. Hmm. By God's mercy, the Christian is continually under the care of God. And though we probably could face a lot more worse things than we do, um, we don't. But it's also true for the non-believer. It's not like the non-believer is the one who's always getting diseases and car accidents and death. So is the Christian. And I think the comforting thing in the spiritual aspect of what you speak about is that that is the true mark of what God has done for us, that he has brought desolation, specifically sin, the effects of sin, the devil, and that he has not only secured our present life, but most importantly, our mm -hmm. eternal and spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And I did mention briefly, I forget when, this idea that a God who gave up his only son, would he not give us? every good thing hmm. and that is both physical and especially in the, in the spiritual as well amen thanks for your time today john thanks for having we me. could go on and oh, on yeah. and on and on and on yeah, um, yeah i've already queued up like six more con it was such a rich <laughs> offering there and it's a good place to end but it did trigger about five other thoughts for me. <laughs> Well, we could always do the um, the deeper, deeper cut at some point. No, <laughs> no, that we don't have a third podcast in us. No, and that might involve the use of psychotropic drugs. Too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we gotta we gotta stay away from stay away from that. Um, but again, thanks for for coming and joining us today, John. Um, as always, I, I feel like. I have more questions at the end of this than, than I did at the beginning. And I wish we had twice as long to talk about these things, but there's always, um, you know, casual conversation without a microphone or maybe even in a future episode, mm -hmm. we can bring these things back up. Um, if you haven't already had the opportunity to listen to John's sermon from yesterday, I would, um, uh, encourage you to go do so. I think you'll be, um, blessed by it as as I was and I mean even just our conversation this morning was a blessing it's not the preaching of God's word but it's certainly a wonderful time spent 
with brothers looking at the scriptures more deeply. Um, we and hope that this has been a blessing to you as well as our, as our listeners. Yeah, it's been a blessing to me. And John, we hope this is an encouragement to you that your work uh, continues. You know, the work that you did in the pulpit is meaningful and um, it's worth talking about. So we're, we're trying to set an example here too, Tim, in terms of what we want people to be doing at their dinner tables and in their commutes and um, over coffee as the fellowship of the saints at Mercy Hill isn't just limited to Sundays and neither should be the uh, discussion about the preached word. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, guys. And thank you for the encouragement. Yeah. Thanks for all your work. In, uh, in the sermon prep. And uh, I mean, I haven't had as much experience as you or, or Phil, certainly up behind the pulpit, but I know what goes, in, goes into that and it's stressful and particularly this time of year. So we thank you for your efforts and bringing the word to us yesterday. If you have questions about anything we've talked about this morning or, you know, want to pick up on this conversation with us privately, you know, we'd encourage you to do so. We have um, multiple avenues to reach out to us online, um, or if you're local or part of our church, you know where to find you know where to find us. So we would we would uh, most most definitely welcome um, continued conversation about Psalm 46 and what what we've talked about this morning, and um, you know we'll hopefully, Lord willing, be with you again next Monday to talk about the next sermon. Um, as we continue in the Psalms through the end of the month. So thanks so much for your time and uh, we'll talk to you next week.